All right. Well, make sure you register. You can do that online um, at onechapel.com or onechapel.info. You can register right online for that marriage conference. It's coming up. Um, early bird registration is going on right now, so make sure you jump in with that. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great to see you here this morning. Like the guys were saying, we are kind of flip-flopping service here just a little bit. We're going to save worship to the end. We're kind of doing that through this series that we're doing. And the series that we're doing that we launched last Sunday is called Restart. And the question we're asking is, how will this year be different? I think it's a great question, don't you? Because if we don't really think about what this year is going to be like, then we'll end up just living our lives the same way that we always have, with the same old, same all. And I think for a lot of us, when we approach a new year, we tend to approach this question of how is this year going to be different from a very physical standpoint. So we put together um, a health plan and a diet plan and an exercise plan. Maybe we put together a relationship plan and a financial plan, which are all really fantastic and really good for every single one of us, but here's the thing you need to understand. If all you do is just put together these physical plans, you're still going to end up getting stuck if you don't address the spiritual blockage that tends to encroach into our lives. In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul's describing this to the believers in Ephesus, and he says this in verse 10, he says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, then after, you ba after the battle, you will still be standing firm. And so in case you've forgotten or in case you maybe don't even know, the Apostle Paul is describing here that there are spiritual forces that are at war against your life, that are trying to keep you stuck and entrenched so that you're unable to move forward in all that God has for you. So if all you do is approach 2018 in just a physical sense with physical plans, you're going to still miss out because you have to contend with these demonic spiritual forces the Apostle Paul is describing here that are trying to keep you from moving forward with all that God has for your life. I mentioned this last week that one of the things that I tend to do as I approach a new year is I tend to study just a little bit about the Hebrew meaning of the, the number of that new year. And so this is 2018, and I always think there's something prophetic that God wants to do in our lives and through us. And I think um, the Hebrew meaning of those um, numbers a lot of times gives us an indication of what it is that God is doing. So this is 2018. 2018 is an interesting number because it's made up of both positive and negative words. It's a combination of both positive and negative words. And so the meaning of 18 is that it has this, this transformative thing that's going on, transforming the negative into a positive. In other words, transforming um, maybe death into life or transforming hatred into love, transforming bondage into freedom. That's what the number 18 means. And so as I was thinking and praying about 2018 and all that God would want to do in and through our lives and how this year might be different than previous years for us, the word that's been in my heart has been this word shift. So I believe that there's a shift that God wants to do 
in our lives. There's a shift that God wants to do in your life. There's a shift that God wants to do in our church. There's a shift that God wants to do in this whole area, this whole region, this whole hill country. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at, so how do we contend with these spiritual forces? How do we overcome these strategies that the enemy puts in place to try to keep us stuck? Because one of the things that I've learned over the years, and maybe you have too, is that even though there's so many things that God has for us, and even though there's so many promises that God has for us, there's so many things that God wants to do in and through our lives, if we don't step into those things that God's provided for us, if we don't contend for those things, then we'll end up missing out on all that God wants to do in and through our lives. Apostle Paul describes it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I've already obtained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, folks, the reason why we have to contend for these things that God has provided for, the reason why we have to contend for these promises that God has for us even here in this 2018 is not because God is withholding these things from you. So often I think people miss this, so, and, they, and in prayer, we start begging God, God, please, 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 would you please do this? Would you please do this? It's, we're trying to, it's like we're trying to convince God to give us good things, but that's not what happens at all. God is the one who provides these promises. He's the one who provides these things. The reason why you have to contend for these things is because the devil has strategies to keep you from walking in all that God has provided for you. And that's why I think God's given us this picture of how to do this and a strategy of how to advance the kingdom of God and move the kingdom of God forward in our own lives. And he gives us this picture through the stages that the Israelites went through in the Old Testament coming out of Egypt into the promised land. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. He says, these are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They're at the beginning, we're at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. We talked about that last, last week. And last week I shared this, this quote from a guy by the name of George Santiano, who was a Spanish philosopher in the early 1900s. And he said this, he says, progress, far from consisting in change, depends upon retentiveness. When change is absolute, there remains no being to improve and no direction is set for possible improvement. And when experience is not retained, as among savages, infancy is perpetual. You want to know why you keep feeling stuck? You want to know why you don't feel like you're growing? He's, he's talking about this whole, this whole issue here. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. How many of you know that's true? You've seen it in your own life, right? You see it, we see it all the time in history books and practical ways. The King, King Solomon, around 950 B.C., he wrote in Proverbs 29, verse 18, he says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So I believe it's true. I think this is true, what they're talking about here, that we have a tendency to fall back into the ruts of the past. Come on, folks, you know what I'm talking about? 
You have a tendency, I have a tendency to just keep, keep falling back into the ruts of our past. And so if we can't remember what God has done, if we can't remember what he's done in our own lives and people before who come before us, then we're going to be just condemned just to repeat it all over again. And we'll just keep stumbling over ourselves. And ultimately, we'll just fall back into the status quo, the same old, same old. Yeah, I want something different, but my life is still the same. I'm still stuck. But I believe God's given us some clues in these stages, in this progress that the Israelites went through as they were coming out of Egypt into the promised land that point us to some really critical steps that you and I, that we need to make in order to see kingdom movement in our own lives. We read the scripture last week in Numbers chapter 33, verse 2. It said, at the Lord's direction, Moses kept a written record of their progress. These are the stages of their march, identified by the different places where they stopped along the way. We talked about that last week, and we looked at one of those stages that the Israelites went through, this stage at a place called Kibrath Hatavah. Not an easy word to pronounce, but it's an incredible thing that happened when they came to this location, because at Kibrath Hatavah, it's an example for us of how, if we're truly going to move forward in our journey with God, if we're truly going to step into all the promises that God has for us, then we too have to come to this place, just like the Israelites did, where we let go, or in other, in other words, we die to our own desires. We die to our own longings. We die to our own cravings and our own greed. And when we do that, it is a huge key of creating enormous shift in our lives. If you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to this one because this is an incredible stage that every one of us have to go through in order to actually move forward in what God has for our lives. This morning we're going to look at another stage that the Israelites went through, and this one is at a place called Rephidim. So look at this in Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah where the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? You know, I think every single one of us, we come to places just like Rephidim, where you're discouraged, where you're exhausted, you're tired, maybe you're even depressed, where it's not what you expected. Life's not happening the way you think it should, where it feels like you've walked into a barren place, and you start questioning God, God, where are you in this? Have you forsaken me? What's happening here? Ever been there before? Maybe you're even in that place right now here this morning. And so what do you do? <laughs> what do you do when you come to a place like Rafidim, where it's barren, 
where you can't figure out what is going and you can't figure out where God is, what do you do when you come to those places in life? I think for a lot of us, immediately what we do is we look for a way out, right? God, get me out of here. Change the situation. Change this relationship. Change what's going on here. God, get me out of here. I don't want... And so that we're immediately looking for the exit to get out of this spot that we found ourselves in. Instead of stopping and looking for God in that place. I think most of us, that's not how we approach it. Most of us, we're not thinking that way. We're trying to get out of it instead of trying to actually find God in the midst of that. But here's the thing, folks. If you don't find God in the midst of that place, you'll never be ready for the attacks that are coming. Remember, we're not just dealing with physical things. There are spiritual enemies that are at war for your life that want to destroy you. And so if, we, if you don't find God in that barren place, you'll never be ready for those attacks to come. In other words, if you don't find God when you lose your job, if you don't find God when you get that diagnosis from the, from the doctor, if you don't find God in the midst of that difficult relationship that you're in, if you don't find God in that seemingly impossible, hopeless situation that you're in, if you don't find God in those places, then you'll never be ready for the attacks that are coming, and the attacks are coming. Look at this in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Now look at this. Because it's in our places of weakness that the devil loves to attack you. When you're at your weakest point, that's where the devil tends to always come and attack you. How many know that one's true? And so maybe you've lost your job, for example. But it's not just the difficulty of losing your job. It's what happens after you've lost your job. The thoughts that tend to come all of a sudden just flood into your head. Thoughts of worthlessness. Thoughts of poor self-esteem. You're never going to be able to get another job. You're not good enough. You're not, old. You're not old enough. You're too old. You don't have the right experiences anymore. All of a sudden those thoughts begin to just encroach into your head. And that's where it really starts to become hopeless. Because at those points of weakness, those points of barrenness, when things aren't happening the way you think, that's when the attacks really start happening. And here's the thing that you and I need to understand. Because every time there's an advancement of God's kingdom in your life, the devil is always right there to try to trip you up. Because he doesn't want, to, want you to move any further. And so just as soon as God does something in your life, the devil's right there to come alongside of it to try to thwart what it is that God is doing. And so what he'll do is that he'll pick at those weaknesses in your life. Remember what Jesus said in John 10.10, that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And so you have an enemy to your soul who is relentless. And so what he'll do is that he'll pick at those weaknesses in your body to inflame whatever is weak in your body so that it will cause you to stop. He'll pick at those temptations that are really specific for you to try to get you to trip up so that you can't move forward anymore. And you'll try to stir up dissension and conflict and offenses in your relationships to destroy what's happening around you. And he'll try to create division in order for you to be separated and isolated on your own because then you're easy pickings. That's the nature of the enemy of your soul, what happens, and he comes at these places of her freedom. But look again here in Exodus chapter 17, verse 5. It says, the Lord has answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, 
Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now think about this. Because for the Israelites, in order for them to defeat the Amalekites, the enemies that were coming at them at Rephidim, the enemies that were coming at them at this point of barrenness, this point of weakness, in order for them to defeat these enemies, they needed to be able to receive the water that God would supply to them. And listen, folks, the same is true for you and for me. We need to receive the living waters that only God can supply. Jesus said in John 7, verse 37, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. When you're in those barren places, when you're trying to figure out what's going on and things aren't happening the way you think they should, that's when you need to stop in your place. Instead of grumbling and complaining, instead of turning your back on God, instead of just giving into those attacks that are coming your way, you need to run to God. Run to him because he is there. In the midst of that barren place, he is right there. The answer is not the escape. The answer is finding God right there in the midst of what it is that you're going through. So you need to run to God to allow his rivers of living water to wash over you, to wash over your hurts, to wash over your disillusionments, to wash over your despair, to wash over your offenses, to wash over your failures. That's the only way that you're going to be able to break through the junk that's coming after you. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up. One on, one on one side and then one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. I want to show you something here that I think is really interesting and extremely important from us when we look at this stage of Rephidim. Because the stage of Rephidim is such a wonderful picture of how bold leadership taking steps of faith and prophetic intercession and worship come together to fight the enemies that want to destroy our lives. This combination of bold leadership, taking steps of faith, worship, and prophetic intercession, when they come, they, when they come together, it's a powerful illustration, illustration of how they defeat the enemies that come into our lives. How many of you heard the, the word trifecta before? Have you heard the trifecta before? All of you gamblers out there? That word trifecta comes from, it's a horse racing term. You're, you, you with me, right? And so when you bet on the horse that's going to come in first, and the horse that's going to come in second, and the horse that comes in third, if you get all three of those right in the right order, that's called a trifecta. 
It's since been used in a, in a connotative way to mean anything, any group of three things that work together to make an impact. So that's what that word trifecta means. Well, this combination of bold leadership and prophetic intercession and worship, they're a trifecta that will create great kingdom movement in your life. And you will see this when you read your Bible. You'll see this trifecta working together over and over and over. Let me show you an example of this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to move forward in history, starting in verse 1. It says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Meonites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already at Hazarzan, Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarm Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek him, to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly in Judah, of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and prayed. Verse 13. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Yachaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, the son of Yael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite, and a descendant of Asaph as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you'll find at the end of the gorge in the desert of Yeruel. You'll not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert to Koah. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As we began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army. They saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Now, I want to show you a couple things here, because I want you to notice the trifecta in these verses. You have the leader, Jehoshaphat. You have the worshipers that Jehoshaphat appointed to sing to the Lord and to praise him in the splendor of his holiness. And then you also have Yahiaziel, the prophetic intercessor. 
All three of these are working together to face the enemies that are coming after them. And then I want you to notice the place where this trifecta comes together. Verse 26, it says, On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Now look at this. This is really interesting because the place where the leader and the worshiper and the prophetic intercessor, where they partner together, the place where they gather together to defeat the enemies, that place is now known as the Valley of Baraka. That word Baraka in the original Hebrew language means blessing, prosperity. Now follow this here. Because the place where the trifecta came together became a place of blessing and prosperity. Listen, folks, this is the stage of Rafidah and what it's all about. And over and over, you will see this happening in Scripture where God uses the combination of bold leadership, taking steps of faith and prophetic intercessors and worshipers coming together to create great advancement, kingdom advancement and kingdom movement in their lives. And I'm telling you something, folks, this was true for you and for me as well. This combination works to create movement for every single one of us. Because if you want to see in 2018 kingdom advancement and kingdom movement in your life, if you want to see things shift in your life, the role of worship and stopping to hear and to respond to the voice of the Lord and then taking steps forward, boldly stepping in faith to do what it is that God has, has told you to do, this is a trifecta that will cause a shift in your life. Remember, I said before that so many of us, we kind of passively wait for these promises of God to drop into our lap. But you need to understand, there is the enemy to your soul who's trying to thwart and to push those things away from you so that you don't step into the promises. That's why we have to contend for them. And it's this combination of worship and prophetic intercession and bold leadership where you're taking steps of faith to do what it is that God's told you to do. It's this trifecta that will cause the shift in your life. And so when you find yourself stuck, when you find yourself disillusioned by what's happening around you, when you find yourself exhausted and tired and depressed, engage this trifecta in your life. Don't just sit there passively. Don't just grumble and complain. Engage this trifecta in your life. Remember, Solomon said this, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend, listen to this, when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. That's what we need. As you go into 2018, that needs to be our focus. That needs to be your rally cry to what is it God is revealing and then attend to it. Walk it out because that's where the blessing is. So I believe God wants to bring you to that place, that valley of Baraka. I believe that God wants to bring me. I believe he wants to bring us to that valley of Baraka where there's blessing, there's prosperity, where there's kingdom movement and kingdom advancement that's happening in your life. And that's why the stage of Rafidim is so incredibly key to seeing things shift in your life, where you're bringing worship together and that prophetic intercession where you're listening to what God has to say and then you're acting out, you're taking steps of faith to do what he's told you to do. It's this trifecta that will shift you out of the ruts that you're in right now. This is what will change 2018 for you. I mentioned this last week, but we're, right now we're in the midst of 21 days of prayer. And we are engaging these next 21 days purposefully, intentionally, 
to pray and to seek God. Remember, it's not so that we're crying out and complaining and grumbling, God, please, 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 please. No, we're recognizing what does God want? What is he doing? What is he saying? And then we're stepping into that. And so, again, I want to invite you into this 21 days of prayer and fasting to take things out of your life. That was last week, where we take things out. What do I need to lay down? What do I need, what do I need to let go? Or we're taking those things out. And then this, when we're talking about refidim, what do I need to add to? What is it I need to add to in this combination of worship, where you worship God, where you're stopping to actually listen to what God is saying, and then boldly stepping out in faith to do what it is that he's telling you to. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to shift up service, to, sh- to, to save worship for here at the end, so that we take this time to, in worship, to move something forward in our own lives. And so as we worship here this morning, I want to encourage you a couple things. Number one, you should have received one of these three-by-five cards when you came in. And so as you worship, I don't want you to just sing this morning the songs that, you know, the worship team is leading us in. I don't want you to just passively go along. But I want you to put this in your hand. Everybody get your three-by-five card up. Put it in your hand, would you please? Should have received one of these. If you didn't get one of these, raise your hand. Okay. Oh, ushers, help me, please. Keep your hand up. These ushers will, will give you one, okay? And I want you to just keep this in your hand. Keep your hands raised until the ushers get to you so you have one in your hand. Thank you. They're coming forward. Just keep your hand raised and they'll get you one into your hand here. front. There you go. All right. Way back in the back over there. I just want to make sure you all have a piece because I I want you to participate. Okay. So everybody have one now in your hand? You're with me now? Do you have it in your hand? And uh, what I want you to do, I want you to just keep it in your hand. All right. As a reminder that I want you to participate here, not just sing, but to participate. There's pins in front of all your chairs and what I want you to do as, as the team leads you here this morning is, as you're singing, I want you to also listen. I want you to listen to what it is that maybe God would want to drop into your heart right now. You know, he wants to speak to you, right? He wants to. He wants to show you things. That's, that's what this is all about. But he wants to. And so, and so I just want you, to, I want you to write down. It may be so random for you. It may be a thought. It may be a picture. It may be a scripture that comes to mind. Don't try to analyze it. Just write it down. Just write it down. Whatever, just a thought or an idea, you know, something that God might drop, just drop in. And just write it down for you. This is, this is for you. This is not going to go anywhere else. Nobody else is going to see this. This is just for you and what God might want to shift or move forward in your own life. But I'm going to add something else to that because as we worship, the team's just going to lead us here for the next 20 minutes or so. And, and as they do that, I have a microphone that sits right in front of me. And I want to ask you if, if God would drop something in your heart for us, something that he might want to share for us here this way. Again, it might be a scripture. It might be a picture. It might be some words of encouragement or, or 
something to move you forward in something, that just come up here and we're going to interject that as we worship and so, that, so that we practice this worship and prophetic intercession and stepping out in faith with what it is that God might want to do in our midst. Are you all with me here this morning? Why don't you stand to your feet here together? Let me pray as we kind of enter this time here together. There's also communion up front, everybody. We're not going to do that as an organized thing. We usually organize this and put lines through that. But this is just going to be for your own personal worship time. So when you want to come forward and take communion, you can do that as you want over these next several minutes as we worship here together. But Father, we come to you here this morning just afresh and anew. Because God, we need you. Lord, we need to hear you. We need to know what it is that you're saying and what it is that you want to do. God, we want you to speak to us and to show us. And Lord, I realize that for so many people, they're facing so many different enemies, even here this morning. They're facing these barren places that they're in. And God, we need your living water to flow through our minds and our emotions and through our bodies and and through our relationships and the things that are going on in our life. God, we need you to work in us. And so, God, we give you place. We give you our attention here in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together. Let me just encourage you just a little bit. That may have been so incredibly uncomfortable for some of you to do, but I want to suggest to you something that that if there's things that need to shift in your life, there's things that need to change in your life, don't just keep doing the same old, same old. That's insanity, doing the same thing over and over and over and accept a different result. So we need to step out. And I think you even heard in some of the things that were being shared, what God was putting in people's hearts, that it's right there. You know, there's things that God wants to do right there, but you're going to have to stand up, turn, shift, and connect. And there's these things that God wants to do. And each one of these people even came up to share we're all shaking in their boots to do it, um, but yet they s- stepped out in faith. And let me just suggest to you, you can do that same thing throughout the week. You don't have to wait till Sunday to come here. You know, as you're driving, put on some worship music and just let that go through your car or at home or even in at work, put on the earphones or whatever it is. Let worship start to surround you. But as you're worshiping, listen. Listen to what the Holy Spirit might speak to you. Listen to what God might say to you. Write it down. Look what he's saying. Look up that scripture and, and then grab a hold of it. I'm telling you, folks, I believe there's a shift that God wants to do in us. But we need to step in until we need to lean in to it and not just wait passively for something to happen. Our prayer team will be down here in front. We do this at the end of every service. And if you want somebody, you feel like you can't pray yourself, you feel like there's things that are going on in your life, you just don't know how to. Maybe you've never had a relationship with God this way. And these people are here to lead you. They'll walk you through. How, do you, how can you know God? How can you have this relationship with him? These people are here to pray with you. Whatever's going on, they'll just hang out here uh, for, for a long time here until um, all you've been prayed for. If you would, I'll just grab a hold of the hand of the person beside you. We, we saw that in the scripture that we read and with Aaron and her holding up Moses' hands. And I just want to kind of end here as you're holding somebody's hand here this morning to remind you you're not alone. And so, Father, I pray for every single one of us here that faith would arise. God, as we start this new year, as we step into this new year and all that you have for us, we want to shake off all of those things that have been holding us back. 
And we want to step into all that you have. We want to be of those who say yes and amen to your plans and purposes and to your promises. We don't want to be of those who are grumbling and complaining and sitting around passively. And so, Father, I pray, just as you told Joshua and Caleb, to be strong and courageous and to be very strong and very courageous, that we would be men and women and young people of faith that we would step out into what it is that you're saying and that we would see the goodness of the Lord here in the land of the living, here in the hill country, here in what's going on in our lives. God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're stirring here. And so, Father, I speak your blessing on these people right now in Jesus' name. God bless you, everyone. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.